Hello and welcome to episode three. I'm Scott Kaler, your host, and today we've got Christina Schultz joining us again on the podcast where we're going to be talking about a specific subtype of running category. Last episode, we talked about how we use our 3D gate software to be able to work with our runners and help them either to overcome injury or to boost their performance. Uh, But before we dive into uh, what we really want to talk about today, I was going to just ask you to play off our last episode. Do you think there's an ideal gait pattern? Hmm. That's a really good question. (laughs) Um, So no, there there is no ideal gait pattern. Everybody is built a little bit differently. um, Everybody's going to, they're going to look a little bit different when they run. Uh, We do have from the literature, we know there are some upper and lower end, you know, numbers that we want to be around uh, when we go too far out of those parameters it's that's when we start to run into trouble so uh, to answer your question there's no ideal gait pattern but we do want to stay in some ranges for sure yeah that's you know I, I don't even remember where this metric came from but almost every runner that comes in goes oh no my cadence was not 180 yeah, so actually, I do know where that metric came from. <laughs> so there, there was this study that was done on elite track runners. I want to say between 400 and 1600 meter runners, I believe. These are elite level runners. And that was kind of their average. Um, again, emphasis on average, right? So there was variance there. Uh, those were people running at the highest level and these are people who have been you know genetically blessed as well to be able to do that are Um, you saying you're genetically blessed because every time we put you in the lab you're always right at 180 (laughs) maybe (laughs) but we, we also do start to i think it's a really interesting thing that i've noticed in the world of track um 800 meter runners tend to look like 800 meter runners 3200 meter runners tend to look like 3200 meter runners and so you have this when we look at such like a small subtype of runners we have this very like it's kind of a uniform body type that you start to tend to see um maybe they're shorter taller you know more muscular um so again, it was on the study of very, very, very high-level athletes that all kind of were built very similar. And so everybody then said, hey, we all need to be at 180, Yeah, clearly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. thank you for saying that. It's an average. And certainly when we'll talk, we're going to dive into cadence mm-hmm. later on in this yeah. episode and, and some of our thoughts around that from what the literature tells us and then our clinical experience. Sure. Um, but just wanted to address that off the top yeah. here just to get there's going. There's no perfect cadence. There's no perfect cadence and there's no perfect form. We've yeah. all seen them out on the trails. Then you go, how does that person run the way they run so fast and they look so goofy? Yeah. And you have someone that looks pristine and they're running and maybe they battle injury history. And yeah. it, the world of running and running injuries is so complex and multifactorial mm-hmm. with strength and nutrition and fatigue and everything that goes into that. And so... I just wanted to bring that up as we're diving into this, that there's no one size fits all running pattern or treatment approach. And that's why we like to individualize everything that we're going to do with our clients. But there are some some common things that I think we can talk about in in large groups that that can be helpful. So 
Today, we're going to talk a lot about this category of overstriding. So before we even dive into the nitty gritty of it, can you just tell us what overstriding is? Because I think it's something that I hear a lot on social media or if I'm in running stores or running seminars, it's probably the number one talked about um, running thing. And so Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear from you how you define it. Yeah. Um, overstriding is essentially when your foot lands too far out in front of your body, right? Um, perfect world, like our foot is landing right underneath our body, setting it us, setting us up for like the perfect absorption of load and propulsion forward, right? Uh, it's not the perfect world. So we do have some parameters where we like for that foot to land in relation to your body just to help make you a little bit more efficient, um, and not add too much increased load in certain areas when we don't really need it. It's not make running harder than it needs to be. Yeah, so that's the nice thing with our 3D software is that we can see in real time. The software tells you right when the foot's hitting the ground, mm-hmm. and we can freeze frame it, drop a plumb line down from the knee, and that line should either go right through the ankle or the ankle should be slightly behind that line. Yeah. When it's further out in front of the knee, which is what you're talking about, that's what we're calling overstriding. And so we're looking at shin angle as well as foot angle relative to the ground mm-hmm. during that. So in addition to just overstriding, we we do subcategorize these people. So what are some of the what are the subcategories that you would put those people in and maybe tell a little, little bit about each one of those sure. and what they mean? Yeah, so when we are working with um, people who have this category of overstrider, right? Um, we the, probably the most common one would be overstrider cadence, right? That that cadence keyword that we just talked about here. Um, like we said, there's no perfect cadence. Um, everybody's going to be a little bit different, but our our lower end cadence is 160. So we do know that we want you to be above 160. So when I'm seeing somebody who shows this overstriding pattern and I see that their cadence is about pretty close to that 160 or lower, I say, this is probably going to be our biggest bang for our buck to work here (laughs) is going to be incorporating some cadence work. How are we going to increase their steps per minute? Um, We also start to see this subcategory called like overstrider with knee drive, right? So this is when um, the runner it doesn't have a ton of hip flexion uh, when they're swinging, when they're in that swing phase of gait. And so it's, it's just like it sounds, that knee isn't driving forward very well. We also have uh, what we call like overstrider glute amnesiac, right? So it's this fun... Glute amnesiac. Yeah. T- that's a funny phrase. Yeah. Tell, tell us more about that. Yeah. Um, it's a funny, it's a funny word, right? We all know, like your glutes don't forget how to work, right? It's, it's not that. We just like to put a fun name on it. Essentially, what that means is we have some difficulty getting full hip extension. That can be from a variety of reasons. Um, maybe your glutes aren't very strong, possibly, but that could come from um, maybe, maybe our hip flexors are a little bit tight. Maybe um, your body doesn't feel efficient getting into that hip extension pattern um this could come from anything even further down the chain this could be your 
ankles. Your ankles might not have enough dorsiflexion for you to even get into that position, uh, all the way down to your big toe. So it's very interesting. Some of the people that I work on some of their big toe extension and suddenly they're able to achieve a a much more efficient gait pattern. So it's a funny word. Um, but no, your glutes aren't forgetting how to work. I'm going to interrupt before you jump into the last one, just real quick. And so for anyone that comes into the lab and the words pop up on the screen and they show up in their app, it's when you're making software and you have to give stuff labels it just is, it's just a, a label to help us think through what are the things that we need to look at from a cur- or from a um, exercise standpoint yeah. to help you out. It's not that there's anything physiologically yeah. <laughs> wrong with that muscle, most likely. Yeah. So it's, we don't want to define anybody by a category. Sure. You're defined by the person that you are that comes yeah. in the door. Yeah. Um, so that's my little disclaimer. Sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt. Nope, what's, what's that definitely. last category? And then I'm going to ask some some follow-up questions. Yeah, so so kind of that next category would be like overstriding, overstrider collapsing. So again, we have to call it a name. <laughs> collapsing sounds big and scary. It's not. Um, this is just when we put weight onto that one leg and we're in that mid-stance phase. We start to see the other side, that other side pelvis drop down lower. Um, this could be, it could be at the pelvis. We could also see some range, um, some issues at the hip, the knee, the foot, anything like that. But it just tells us that we're not as stable in mid stance as we should be. Yeah. So just leaking some energy that instead of Mm -hmm. being able to use our tendons and muscles to push us forward, we're, we're leaking a little bit of that efficiency. Yeah. Oh, thank you for that. So let's talk about cadence because... Mm -hmm you know, in the clinic almost every day, that's, you hear me give yep. my, that cue to my runners yeah, and you're doing, you're doing the same thing. We're talking about it quite a bit and just doing this now for at the time of this recording over 50 or at 15 years, um, it is the easiest, lowest hanging fruit to go after for somebody yeah. oftentimes and often gets a lot of change over many categories with one simple change mm-hmm. that doesn't even affect their metabolic requirements. So theoretically, we could change someone's cadence up to 10% and it not increase their energy requirements, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I tend to land on bumping their cadence up 5%. I, yeah, I land same. in the middle because if you go too big, it feels way too different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to hear you talk about when you're working with somebody a and, and cadence is the thing that we go after. How do you cue them to it sure. and how do you train it? Yeah. Um, well, just kind of off, of off of that topic, we'll get back into that. But one of the biggest questions I get when we start working on someone's cadence is, so does that mean I have to run faster? Um, no. <laughs> you might find you run faster. That would be cool. Like, you know, if, if it makes you feel that much better. But what that typically means, and, and there's a few different um factors in there but it usually means we're just spending less time on the ground more time in the air it's it's faster turnover but you're not actually propelling yourself faster and further yeah yeah exactly so Mm -hmm. there's some there's a really good paper and i can't remember which journal that it was in but they wanted to figure out what are the factors that make someone run faster Mm -hmm. is it a faster turnover is it a longer stride or is it forced through the treadmill Mm -hmm. 
And so they hypothesized it was going to be stride and cadence and, or cadence. And then when they did the study, they had a fancy treadmill with the force plates built into it so they could measure it, uh, how much force they're putting through the ground. And it turns out it was no matter the speed within a certain amount, if you're just like jogging sure, lightly yeah. around, your cadence isn't going to look the same. But if you're doing an eight mile per hour workout or a seven mile per workout or like 10 mile per hour, your cadence really won't be right. all that different. Mm-hmm. But the main difference, what they found is the amount of force going yep. through, the, through the ground. And so um, that's where that's where we say, well, strength really matters because that's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck to be able to run faster once Mm -hmm. we are cleaning up some of the inefficiencies in your gait. So I think that's what you were going after. And yeah, Yeah. take take it away. Yeah. It's just a question that I get a lot. Um, So if you were wondering the same thing, um, you're not alone. It's a, it's a fair question. But when I am working with someone that we decide for a variety of reasons that we want to work on their cadence, um, Typically, I'll use a metronome to help them with that. Um, I just get a free app on my phone, and we test it out. We see what it looks like. If we bump it up 5% and they're able to match that metronome, do things look better? Do they feel better? That's a big one, too. Um, And then if that seems to help clean things up, I'll have my runners start using that metronome when they run. Now, I don't have them run to that metronome the entire time because that gets boring and annoying. Um, And again, I I want you to enjoy your run. So typically what we'll do is like let them get warmed up. I'll I'll instruct them to go ahead, go for a warm up, all that. And then once you get going, play the metronome for a minute or two, try to match that, turn it off for a little while, check in a few times throughout your run, see are you holding on to that? Um, Are we falling off? You know, play around with it and then we also work on several drills where we'll work on using um we'll work on going up to that cadence as well with those drills to help it feel a little bit more natural yeah that's great and i I like that tip don't listen to the metronome the whole time because you (laughs) it will drive you nuts it will drive you nuts and and ultimately my my goal is for it to start to come natural to you Mm -hmm. so i don't want you to have to depend on that yeah and i know for me historically my cadence is low, which is mm-hmm. funny because I'm not extremely fast, but I'm not slow either. Yeah. And my cadence for a long time was under 160, mm-hmm. and I had to work to to boost it up. And now I live around 165, and for me that's comfortable. And yeah. I can I know when I'm I can just feel it now. And if I'm out on a long run, and I if I'm starting to feel achy for whatever reason, I'll turn the cadence screen on on my watch I'm like oh it's because I'm now at 160 instead Mm -hmm. of 165 so I've been doing it long enough now I can feel if it was a a a slow cadence day for whatever reason so the goal is we just want it to become innate and you can feel it and learn where you are and inevitably our runners if we bumped you up five percent they're going to regress to the mean and but if we are always bumping it up five percent from wherever that new landing point is eventually we're going to settle in on your sweet spot and it just becomes a natural. Yeah. And and I think that's also a good example of everybody's cadence is going to be a little different, right? Scott's being modest. He's a great athlete. He's at 165. I'm at 180. We're just different, right? So if somebody says, oh, you have to have a 180 cadence, you do not. Your body is going to be a little bit different than theirs. Yeah. So are there any other 
drills or tools that you find helpful for your athletes in any of these subcategories that we should spend some time talking about? Yeah, so we work on several um, we work on several drills off of the treadmill. Um, we'll do some wall drills where they're working on landing with their foot underneath their body. Uh, that can be something that we we um, link to on YouTube as well. Uh, give some examples of that. That tends to be really helpful for people to conceptualize what it should feel like before they actually get running, especially if they just can't figure out what we mean by getting their foot underneath their body. Um, and we'll use several different cues. So one of the cues that, um, and some people some people just love the cue landing with their foot underneath their body. It just makes sense, right? Um, but some people that just doesn't work for. And I use a lot of times recently, I've been using running on ice, especially mm-hmm. with the winter <laughs> coming on. Um, I'll, I'll also cue people to just get their foot off the ground more quickly. Um, what, what kind of cues have you been using? Yeah, I've, I'll usually just start with cadence and just see what happens. Yeah. Cause a lot of times it just clears it up yep. on its own. But mm-hmm. yeah, those I use the same cues. I've been using this new product from Float Run or the Float Run harness from PR Gear mm-hmm. um, that I've enjoyed. And just by the restriction of what it's doing with your arm swing, it's more naturally allowing people to have their foot land underneath them with a forward lean without having to really think about anything. It's just a nice external cue. Um, but I think you and I use some very yeah. similar cues on that. I'll have I'll use the marching drill quite a bit mm-hmm. to a metronome so that people can feel their yeah. their foot hitting in, in time with the with the metronome, and then when they're out running, I'll say, hey, just the first few minutes, like you said, no more than ten minutes of the metronome going. Mm-hmm. There are some apps that will sync songs to yeah, yeah that's not to true. that if people want to have their playlist adjust their songs to the same tempo <laughs> so that they can do that. Um, but that I'll do those more than anything else on on the cadence side of things you may even see us in the clinic if you stop by sometimes we have like a band around someone's waist or we're having a march up and down the hallway or sometimes i'll even have them use it on the treadmill too you know there's a variety variety of ways we can do it just depending on how each runner is picking it up yeah for the for the collapsing i love the wall drill um Mm -hmm. and and then that I think goes with the knee drive well too, or we're using that thick band around their waist, get them leaning in and they're just marching down the hall, really feeling what it's like for their foot to land yeah. right, right underneath them. So, um, there's, there's some things that we do. We'll link it in our, our YouTube so you can try it out or the next time you come in and see us, we can play around with that as well. Um, so when we talk about this overstriding category, what would you say some of the most common injury patterns are that you see? Hmm. Um, normally, this is I, I see a lot of runners that are dealing with knee pain in this category. Uh, that tends to be one of the biggest um, biggest things that I see. Uh, this could be, you know, what we call like patellofemoral joint pain. So we just have pain in the front of your knee um, or some patellar tendon pain, so that that's right underneath your kneecap uh, that's that's normally where I see it um, shin splints I this is one of the first things I typically am working with with people who are dealing with shin splints um, among other things that that go on with that but when it comes to the they're running themselves that's one of the things I'm looking at yeah I, I, I would agree with that you know it's 
the nice thing about the being able to utilize our software and, and mess with somebody's cadence in a positive way or to just affect their form and get their foot to land underneath them can have almost exponential load decrease at their knees. Mm-hmm. So someone who's dealing with knee pain, if we can move their foot strike closer to underneath their body, I mean, you can get load decrease of up to like 25 plus percent and you multiply that over the course of a 10K or a, a marathon. Yeah. Now we're talking like exponential decrease in load. And so it can go a long way. Um, so that's where, yeah. you know, folks with knee pain can really benefit from changing that. So this is a, a, a bit of a tangent, but on the same topic of overstriding. So normally when we see overstriding, people are landing in a very much heel strike position Mm -hmm. so it's probably a two-part question yeah (laughs) do does it matter if you're a a rear foot striker midfoot striker forefoot striker um and then let's start there let's start there yeah Yeah, let's start there um so short answer no it doesn't matter right um i i don't really care where your foot hits the ground on on in general, right? The where we start to get this confusion over, like, oh, heel striking is so bad. Um, typically, when your foot lands underneath your body, you're not hitting with your heel first. But again, everybody's gonna look a little bit different, and that's not normally the the culprit. Isn't necessarily the heel. The culprit is where is that foot in relation to the rest of your body? And so heel striking gets this really bad name, but that that's not necessarily the issue. Yeah. So if you look at most elite marathoners, mm-hmm. I think the differentiation comes in heel strike to me says their foot is very steep when it hits the ground. So mm-hmm. if I drew an angle between the bottom of their shoe and the road, it's going to be a pretty steep angle. We're, it is, we are okay with rear foot striking. Sure. So yeah. that's the back of the foot hitting. It's going mm-hmm. to be at a less steep angle and you're more likely landing underneath you. So I think that in my mind, that's what I think of heel strike is you're probably a little too steep at that angle. And we know there's some normative values to say your risk of injury goes up if it's above a certain number. So whether you're rear foot, midfoot or forefoot, I don't think matters. And yeah. where I was going with that elite example is most marathoners that are winning a lot of money to mm-hmm. go, they're rear foot strikers and that is okay. Yeah, that is <laughs> just fine. So I think that that covers that pretty well. So I, I also think that opens up another can of worms. We could probably do a whole nother podcast on this on its, on its own. Um, does having these gate deviations, is it a recipe for injury? Uh, like I said, we could go way into that. The answer is no. There are so many other factors. So when you see an elite runner running and something looks a little different from what we might consider ideal, there are so many other factors that go into that as as well. Yeah. yeah. And when we do the same thing on the performance side mm-hmm. with anyone that comes in our doors, right? We're going to take their whole picture in the mind yeah. before we make any big changes it's like hey christina how's your running been going Have you, what's your injury history and you're like i've never been hurt yeah I've, <laughs> I've performed at the highest level life is great i'm less likely going to be tweaking your running form yeah. it might go okay and if we are it's small it's small but let's dive into well something brought you in that you wanted to work on mm-hmm. so is there something from a scheduling standpoint a sleep standpoint yeah. do we need to get some 
nutrition, whatever the case may be. So we might have to dive into some, some other things. It might be a strength program that's built in there or, or tweaking your plyo program. So every person is going to get a little bit different recommendation based right. off of their history. If someone comes in and they're like, I hate running because I'm hurt <laughs> all the time. I've missed out on my PRs and I think I should be there, but I always get to the start line of a race hurt. Way more likely to tweak that person's running gait um, because something's not going yeah. well there, yeah. along with the other factors that go into it. Um, so we, we covered covered those cues and the things that we would do already. Uh, I got ahead of myself. So <laughs> we'll, we're going to link those kinds of things into our YouTube channel. You'll see them in the show notes for the podcast and how to get there. So, uh, Christina, what other tips or final comments do you have on this topic of overstriding, if any? Mm, we covered a lot. Um, my my biggest tip there would be patient with gait change. Um, it takes time and it takes practice, and um, they're not the results aren't going to come overnight. And sometimes they're going to be small, and sometimes it's a just a small little tweak is all you really need to see the improvement. Yep. It's, it's a motor pattern that we were trying to relearn. And so mm-hmm. it just takes reps like anything else. So that's a, that's a great word. Um, the nice thing oftentimes in the clinic though, is we get, we, we do see a quick reduction in symptoms. Yes. So yeah. we know that we're on the right track. It just was going to take time for that carryover yep. for it to become your natural movement. So Awesome. Great discussion on overstriding and am excited to hear where we go with our next topics. Thank you.